grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It feels like the end of the world in so many ways. We have a public health crisis, an economic crisis, a racial crisis, and on and on it goes. You turn on the news or, or you read the newspaper or God help you, you turn to social media and it feels like everything is just falling apart at the seams. Am I right? Everywhere you look, it seems like it's the end of the world. And then we come to church and it's Trinity Sunday. And you think if ever there was something that feels less relevant to all of these really practical, real-world problems, it's the Trinity. Pastor, you're going to get into the doctrine of the Trinity when our world is on fire? All of that highfalutin stuff way up in the clouds, you're going to reach up into that ivory tower, and that's what we're going to hear today? When what we really need to hear is something about how this world, in all of its pain and brokenness, if there's any kind of healing, if there's any kind of solution for that pastor, don't you have anything to say to that? I do. But I want to tell you guys that the solution to our problems is not going to be political. It's not going to be economic. It's not even going to be cultural. The true solution to what ails our world is spiritual. It's even theological. The solution to our problems is in the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Usually don't bring that out this early, but like right off the bat, we've got to set that foundation. So what I want to do today is to make the case for you and me that the Trinity, confessing our faith in the Trinity, it's not some irrelevant doctrine, nor is it, as some people will say, something that just is going to divide us even more. In fact, the true source of our unity can only be found in the Trinity, the God who is at once three and one. And the way I want to do that, I want to make the case for you by looking at some of those benefits and blessings that we have through our confession of God as Trinity. And I'm going to give you three this evening, although there's many more that we could say. Those three are dignity, community, and empathy. Dignity, community, and empathy. Things that flow out of our faith of being made in the image of the triune God. And that if we lose this, or to the extent that we lose this doctrine of the Trinity, this confession of faith, the center will not be able to hold. And mere anarchy will be loosed on the world. But it need not be that way. So let's turn to the scriptures and to our confession of faith of God as three in one. The first reason I want to make the case for you that confessing the Trinity is still so vital is dignity. Human dignity. Now we have enshrined in our Declaration of Independence that beautiful document penned by Thomas Jefferson. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We memorize these words when we're, when we're children, right? 
and it's beautiful and it's lovely. But what I want to push back on a little bit this evening and to, and to ask you and me is, is it really the case or is it fully the case that this is self-evident or do we need something more? I got to thinking about this in a recent book, and this is a big fat book, and I assure you I have not read this whole book, okay? And it does have pictures as well. Um, but the uh, historian Tom Holland, who is an atheist, who is not a believer, he's written this book entitled Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. How's that for a provocative title? And really what he shows throughout this book is many of the things that we take for granted in our modern Western society has its roots and origins in the Christian faith. And he speaks of this idea of human dignity and the um, claims that are made in the Declaration of Independence. So just bear with me. I want to read a little bit of this to you. He says, That all men had been created equal and endowed with an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were not remotely self-evident truths. That most Americans believed that they were owed less to philosophy than to the Bible. To the assurance that every human being was created in God's image. The truest and ultimate seedbed of the American Republic, no matter what some of those who had composed its founding documents might have cared to think, was the book of Genesis. Now understand what he's saying here. He's not questioning, what, much less am I questioning, the fact that people do, in fact, have those inalienable rights. That every person is, in fact, created equal. But the point is, that is not a self-evident truth. We can look throughout history, we can look through from culture to culture, that in so many places, that has not been self-evident at all. It is, in fact, scripture evident. We're only fully able to grasp the depth of human dignity when we go back to the Bible and to the teachings of we are created in the image, as we read in our reading from Genesis tonight, we are created in the image of the triune God. That's the most firm foundation, see? Because what we have in the, the teaching of the Trinity and in our creation being made in God's image is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a kind of divine conspiracy. And it's even hinted at there, as ancient readers reading the book of Genesis would say, the doctrine of the Trinity is not fully formed already in Genesis 1, but you, you get suggestions of it. And the first couple of verses, you have God, the Father, and you have the Spirit hovering over the waters. By the way, I only want to read the creation account when we're down here at the chapel on the beach from now on. You have God, the Father, you have the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, and then how does God create? Through his word, let there be light. The word, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, already there, the Trinity in the first three verses. Who knew? And then later on in chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image. Let us, as my mom would say, God, you have a mouse in your pocket? Let us make man in our image? It's a divine conspiracy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of the overflow of the love that exists within the Trinity, God creates humanity and creates all creation, the entire universe. It comes not because God was, was needy or lonely or something like that, but simply and solely because God was overflowing in love. 
in love. He makes humanity in his image. Now, that is the inviolable, rock-steady source of human dignity. And every other basis, as I would argue, we are seeing in our world right now, every other basis for human dignity is going to be very fragile indeed. And people will suddenly start to question the sanctity of lives, whether it be the unborn, whether it be of different races, whatever it might be. You see it throughout our world, not just right now. You guys know that. Insofar as people fail to grasp this faith of our being made in the image of the triune God, our commitment to human dignity is going to wane more and more and more. But as it is for you and me, you have been created gratuitously in the image of that triune God who loved you before you were even born, from the foundation of the world, who made you simply and solely out of that grace and favor. There's nothing more that you can do to earn or to merit the love of the God who made you simply because he was overflowing with love. You think about when we have our own children and when you look in the eyes of those little ones and you love them, even though they're not even doing any chores around the house for at least a good three or four years. If that's true for us, how much more is it true for the triune God who from the overflow of his heart created us? That's the surest source of human dignity, that confession of faith being made in his image. That's the first reason I want to say it's so vital for us to confess God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that human dignity. The second one that follows along from this is community. Genuine human community. Many of us have, have heard this week or we've been reminded of that, that plaintive cry from Rodney King 28 years ago, right? Can't we all just get along? And there were riots in the streets in Los Angeles and there's riots in the streets of Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Detroit, you name it this week. Can't we all just get along? And the short answer is, no. But then, why is that? Why can't we all just get along? Is it because we need one more program or policy? Is that what's going to do it? What is going to enable us to get along? What is the, the source of our problems? I was reading this book by a psychologist by the name of Jonathan Haidt. The title of the book is The Righteous Mind. He's another atheist. I've been reading these really interesting guys. He's another atheist, but he says, he starts his book with this quote from Rodney King. And his answer in short to that question, why can't we all just get along, is this. Believe it or not, he says, the reason we can't all get along is because every single one of us is a self-righteous hypocrite. I did like that. I said, wow, he could be a Lutheran. And he says, it's like every one of us, we have a little press secretary in our heart. What he means by that is, we will so quickly try to justify and spin anything that we do, any action that we make, any word that we say, if pressed on it, we've got our little press secretary in our heart, which will immediately go to work and say, well, you don't understand. I mean, this is why that happened. We're very good, as Martin Luther would say, at justifying ourselves. This is the human heart turned in on itself in its sinful nature. It's not the way that it was in the beginning when God created us and it was good. But as a result of sin infecting every single human heart, 
now all of us turn in on ourselves, become these self-righteous hypocrites with little press secretaries in us. And it's not just at an individual level. Then, insofar as humans start to gather together and form institutions and systems and societies, it scales up from there. Amazing how scalable sin is, right? So where will true human community come from? Once again, it can only be found from our being made in that image of the triune God. Now think about this. Usually when we talk about being made in the image of God, we refer to our being rational animals. So other creatures are created by God, but they're not made in God's image. And so they're not able to think. They're not able to organize. They're not, they're not able to plan out their menus for the week. Some of us aren't able to do that either, so I don't want to base our human dignity on that foundation. No. Uh, but... Our reason is part of that being made in the image of God. But another part of that is being made in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a triune God, means that you and I are made for community. We're made for relationship. See, if at the very heart of the universe and all things is a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if at the heart of all things is a community of persons, so to speak, is a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For you and me to be made in that image means that we are created for community. And isn't this what we see? I mean, right after in Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam, and God, throughout Genesis 1, he says, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. What's the first thing, the only thing in those first couple chapters that God says is not good? It's not good for man to be, what? Alone. That's the only thing that's not good in that original creation that needs to be rectified. We are created for relationship, for community. And true human community can only come when together people dwell in, in repentant faith and mutual charity. As humans, we're only able to glimpse it and to grasp it a little bit. And Lord knows, I want to be clear about this, it's not that the church in this age somehow has this all figured out, okay? That famous line from Martin Luther King, where he said the most segregated hour in America was 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's not the fact, it's not the case that the church has this perfectly figured out. But the point is, the only way, our only hope for having that true community, that mutual appreciation and understanding and trust and charity can only come insofar as we really have hearts that are set on that faith in the God who has made us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I would say, too, that's why it is incumbent on Christians and on the church to strive more and more to achieve that unity, to care for one another, to try and bridge those gaps and those fissures that exist and that are so palpable in our society. The church ought to be at the vanguard and the forefront of trying to bridge racial divides, cultural divides, because we know that our true unity is found not in any kind of demographics. Our true unity and community is found in our being made in the image of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You with me? It's the second reason why it's so important for us to continue that confession of faith, why it's so vital. First was that human dignity. Second is human community. Third and finally is empathy. True, deep human empathy. Many of you probably heard the story, read about it this week of what happened in Flint. And if ever there were a place 
to expect for things to go horribly wrong in this moment in our in our nation, you'd think it would be Flint, right? I mean, I hate to say that. I don't mean to cast any aspersions, but we just know Flint has had some really difficult history, even more recently, right? So you think if ever there's a place where this is this could get really bad, it would be Flint. And all the crowds started gathering together, ready to make their protests, their demonstrations. Hopefully it would be a peaceful one, but who knows how it was going to go. But then you saw this. The Genesee County Sheriff comes. You know, and all the, the um, police and the law enforcement are there. They're in riot here. But the sheriff comes down among the people, takes off his helmet, lays down his baton, and says, I'm with you. Let's go. But let's make this a parade. And it ended up being a peaceful, even a joyous demonstration. True empathy there. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I think here we see a, a picture or an analogy of what it's like with God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because what happened there, what was so stark and striking about it is you have a man who is in the position of power and authority and who lays it aside so that he would descend to dwell among the people. That gives us a, a, an idea of what it's like for God to be not only the God who is utterly transcendent, holy, holy, holy. He is high and lifted up far above all things. And yet at the same time, who comes to dwell among us in the person of his son as a little baby, as a frail, humble Lord coming among us, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts. He is not only the God who is fully almighty and holy and transcendent, he is also the God who dwells among the contrite and the lowly of heart who comes and condescends to us men and women of low estate. Both of those things at the same time makes no sense. makes no rational, reasonable sense. It's only possible with a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That triune God who's able to be both of those at the same time. That's where true empathy flows out of. That God who laid claim to you and me in holy baptism, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sets His claim upon us and says, you are mine, branded with His name. That's the source of our hope in our life. And so, yeah, we look around in our world right now, and, and, and it can seem like it's the end of the world. And I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. Maybe it is. Who knows? Come Lord Jesus, am I right? Maybe it is. But here's the promise that you and I have. We have a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who says to you and me, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Fear not. Trust in him. Look to him. And let all know nothing could be more vital than our faith in the God who is one of you. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.